Last week, uh, Greg started us off in the series that we're going to be doing in Luke. He told us about you know, the authorship, it was Luke. And he said that Luke was a unique individual. And in that, he didn't say was that Luke was the only non-Jewish writer in all of the whole Bible. All the rest of the authors inspired by God were Jewish writers. So Luke had a very unique position in that that he was to be giving a comprehensive narrative. And I think that's why he wanted to, to bring such a, a, a comprehensive narrative, because he was a unique individual. He was different from all the rest. And he wanted to make sure that he did justice to the gospel that he was going to be bringing. He did give credit to the others. He said that not that they haven't had given a good gospel already and a good account, but he wanted to have something that delved into some other areas a little bit more, and that's what he did. He started off, as we're going to see when we start looking at the, the different scriptures, he wanted to tie the Old Testament to the New. He wanted to make sure that the, that the readers understood that this information that he's going to be giving, as we start off in here in the first part of Luke, this foretelling of joy, that it wasn't something that just happened, that it's something that was prophesied from way back, a long time ago. And he includes in his first few verses here a time period of about the, about the birth that were going to be occurring. We see back when Jacob, who was the patriarch of all the families, back in Genesis 49, just before he died, he gathered together all of his sons. And he was on his deathbed, and he gathered them together, and he gave them a little tidbit of what was going to be their future and the, fa- and the future of their families. And when he got to Judah... He started off and he, he said to him in Judah, to Judah in chapter 49, it says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the, of the, of the nation is his. So who is this he he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So there would be a ruler on the throne from the tribe of Judah all the way up until the time that the Messiah was ready to come into the world. And that's exactly what had happened. That's exactly what we see happening when we see King Herod. When we start off, we're going to be reading in Luke, starting first, uh, verse 5 through 7. Um, when we read this, I don't know if it's on the screen here yet. There we go. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So we see him starting off giving a few characters, Zechariah and Elizabeth. He gives us some of their character points, that they were righteous people, blameless. They followed the commands of God, and yet They hadn't been blessed with a child. And in that culture, to not have a child was a shame. It was something that they didn't particularly want to bear because they would be left out of the possibility that the Messiah was going to come to their line and that their line through them was going to end if they were childless. So this was something that was probably their point of prayer for many, many years. But yet now it talks about them being old in years and that they would not be able to Uh, be a part of that, which was probably a a sticking point with both of them, but yet they followed God. It says that they were blameless, that they they wanted to follow his commands. 
We pick up and we read the next few verses, verses 8 through 10. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. We look at, it says, the division of Abijah. By this time, and even by the time of King David, the Levites had grown so numerous that they couldn't all possibly serve at the temple all the time. So they had to be divided up. David come up, and we see in Chronicles 24, 1 Chronicles 24 and 2 Kings chapter 11, he gives why they, they broke it down, and he gives the breakdown of the different divisions. They had 24 different divisions, and each would serve one week twice a year. And this is what it talks about. It says when his week was up and his division was called, that he came down to serve. Uh, he talks about in the passage, and uh, Luke talks about it here, he says, that they divided up the task by lot. So whatever the device would be, whether they roll dice, whether they pick the short straw or whatever, they divided up the tasks that were going to need to be accomplished by the priest in the temple. And that was numerous. And we're not talking about the, 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 the work of the high priest. We're talking about all the other priests. And there was an awful lot that needed to be done. I mean, you're talking about all the sacrifices that were going to have to be made. Someone had to take care of them. Someone had to corral them. Someone had to make sure that they were without blemish, that they were pure. Someone had to make sure that they were fed, that they didn't run rampant around the temple, that they were brought in when they were needed. Someone had to get all the water for the, for the basin labor there, for the, for the washing of the services and the washing of the, of the hands after. Someone had to bring in the wood for the altar. So all of these tasks were assigned by lot. Someone even had to do the dishes. And so that was something that everybody had to take a turn at, and they would do this by lot. So can you imagine the, the joy in his heart, the rare occasion it would be, that if your lot fell, that you were going to be bringing the incense into the holy place. And if you remember how the temple is set up, they have the temple court where the, altar, the main altar is, and that's where all the sacrifices are done. They have the holy place where the showbread and the menorah candle and the altar of incense and the altar of incense was set just before the curtain, the huge veil that led into the most holy place. So for anybody other than the high priest, this was as close as they were ever going to get to that most holy place. As close as they were ever going to get to the presence of God amongst them and within them. So to have that privilege was something very rare indeed. And the people knew this. So they would gather at the time of the burning of the incense outside the temple, waiting for that priest to come back out, hoping that he would give them a blessing. Maybe he saw something. Maybe God spoke to them. Maybe there was a vision. So he would give a blessing. So the people were, were gathered in prayer outside the temple, waiting for the priest to come back out. And the symbolism is there in that the altar of incense, when he poured the, the incense on the, the altar with the coals and the burning, the smoke would go up before the veil, before the most holy place. And the people outside were praying. Their prayers were going up also to the Lord. So this was all part of God's plan as to how things were, were done. But things were going to be a little bit different that day, especially for Zechariah. When he came in, he got the incense, got the coals, brought them in. He was going to put them on the altar of incense. What he had to do, probably a first in his time ever that he's had to do this. We don't know. Again, by lot. But a rare occasion indeed. But God saw it a little bit different that day. He sent an angel to speak to him there at the altar of incense. 
And we see in there, he said he was dumbfounded. He was speechless. He didn't know what to say. So in the sending of that angelic message, if you look at it, it's very important to see is this is the first time that God was again speaking to his people in any form, through a prophet, through an angel, for 400 years. The last time that he had spoke to his people was in the book of Malachi through the prophet. In Malachi 4, verses 5 through 6, it says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord, of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. So we know that he's speaking about John the Baptist here because John the Baptist is the one who came in the form or in the, in, the, in the design of Elijah in order to be a forerunner of Jesus Christ. When he brought this message, when, he, when the angel said this to him, Zechariah was just, again, what would you do if an angel appeared to you? I mean, would you fall down on your face? Would you just be completely speechless? Or would you decide to carry on a chat? I don't think the latter was what they would do. I think the former was all those things. So when we see that God resumed his speaking to them after 400 years, it was to continue what he had said. The last words he had said in Malachi were, I'm going to send a person, I'm going to send someone like the prophet Elijah who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And then he stopped speaking. Nothing for 400 years. Then when he comes back again, the very first thing he picks back up, God just picks up right where he leaves off. And it says, I'm sending to you, your, your prayers have been answered, I'm sending to you one who is going to be like Elijah. And he gives some of the different aspects of who that son is. He said, the son that you've been praying for, you will have him. Can you imagine how long they had been praying for a son? They probably been praying their whole lives. And now it says in there, it says they were old and, 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 and well on in years. And one of the versions says that she was stricken in years. So she was well beyond her childbearing years, but not impossible. God had shown that already once before with Abraham and with Sarah. Well along in years that she, had a, that she was given, uh, she, was give, she gave birth to Isaac. God does answer prayer. He doesn't abandon us. We sometimes, and more times than not, will abandon prayer. We give up. Maybe we're, maybe we're just praying and praying for years and years and just really, you know, he's not going to answer the prayer. But they, uh, what I see in this is the caution to just remember that God is always listening, that he will answer that prayer in his timing, in his way. He will answer it so that, it, that everything is done correctly and in the right order. Not in our order, which is usually the wrong order to start with, but he answers prayer. So the admonishment that I see in this is that we need to make sure that we are continually praying, that we're not abandoning prayer, that as we remember things, that as the Spirit puts it on upon our heart to speak and to pray, to do so. That's, that's the Lord urging us to pr be praying for the things that we need to pray. It says in here, it says, uh, in, in the English it says, that his, in his, uh, his name will be John. Uh, kind of, well, I, I, I got to read the next passage. I'm a little ahead of myself. Luke chapter 1, verses 11 through 20. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. 
and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, to the disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So he probably would have been better off if he just said, "Uh uh-huh, or yes, how do you want me to proceed? But we all have a tendency to want to know a little bit more than we probably ought to, to have a little bit more information. We think we can maybe add to the mix, maybe make it a little bit better. But when God sends an angel from heaven, and when he says, when, when, when Zechariah says, how can I know this to be true? I mean, I, I can just envision Gabriel's face saying, really? You're questioning me? He goes, I, I just came from God. I was just standing with him in the presence of God. And you're going to question what he has to say? He has come down here to answer your prayer. He has come down here to continue fulfilling prophecy, to bring his son into this world, to have a forerunner in John come. So we see that uh, he doesn't quite respond the way he should. He probably should have just kept being quiet. And as a result of that, that's exactly what the angel said is going to happen. You're going to, you're going to be quiet. You're going to be mute until the time of this fulfillment. So over nine months, he wasn't going to be able to say anything. Now, for most guys, that isn't, that isn't too much of a problem. You know, I don't care if I just talk too much, but can you imagine having just been told your prayer has been answered, you're going to have a son, now you get to go out, oh yeah, I've got to go out and give a blessing to the people standing out in front. They're waiting for me. I've got to go home in less than a week and talk to my wife. Oh, I can't talk to my wife, I'm mute. So God definitely continues to fulfill his promises. When he promises to do something, when he promised them that John was coming, he's not going to break his promise. But when our questioning it, when our wanting proof of something, it's like uh, Zechariah in here, we take away, we lose some of the joy that we might otherwise have had in the fulfillment of that. Imagine not being able to tell somebody, I'm going to have a son. Can you imagine that all these years? We're going to have a son. All he can do is go, and nothing comes out. Someone was asking me, he goes, well, did he know sign language? I said, <laughs> I said, did he ever need sign language before? No. But he was in some areas that talks about him writing on a board and stuff. But can you imagine trying to express your joy, your happiness over having a son, that the answer all this prayer, and you've got to write it on a chalkboard? You've got to spell it out? I'm having a son. His name is John. Oh, really? But he didn't say that yet. He just, he expressed only what he could possibly could do. In English, the, the name is John. In, in Hebrew, it's Yahweh Shanan, which means the grace and mercy of God. A little bit more than white bread John. It was something that was spelling out that his grace and his mercy was coming to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah. 
um, that people would rejoice at the coming of John. They would be glad to know that the Messiah was finally coming. John's message was a, was a harsh one. Repent of your sin, for the Lord is coming. And his job was to make straight the way for Jesus Christ when he came, so that people would recognize him when he came. So his whole ministry was kind of a, a rough ministry, but yet it was a needed message, and it says that people would rejoice in hearing it. And many did, as it says in the passage here, that many would want to hear that and to be following along and starting to obey the commands and be ready for the Messiah. When we have a hesitancy in, in answering or, or listening to what God is saying to us when we pray, we want to make sure that that hesitancy isn't uh, trying to prove God or ask for proof. We want to make sure that it's coming from our faith. It's just wanting an understanding. We want to make sure that we are not um, like what Zechariah did with the angel. We're not putting God on the spot for having to give us more information than we can possibly handle. What, what did Zechariah think he was going to do with any more information? What kind of proof would God be able to give him other than the fact that Elizabeth was going to conceive when he finally got home? I mean, that, wouldn't that be proof enough that his, the angel brought this message from God's very presence? The next portion here is in Luke 1, 21 through 25. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. It doesn't look like Elizabeth doubted it at all. She became pregnant and was very glad in it. We don't know why she hid herself for five months. It's obvious that she wasn't going to be showing, but can you imagine you know, the, the, the joy that she would have to be able to tell people, but for some reason she hid herself away. And some commentators talk about the fact that she just wanted to just praise God for the answer to this prayer. She wanted to have that time alone with the Lord to be able to just to recognize the, the blessing that she had just been re received. She probably wanted to prepare herself for you know, having, being pregnant with John at, 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 a, at a well-advanced age. I would imagine this probably wouldn't have been easy. I've never given birth, and so I wouldn't know how that's all about. But I can imagine that even in well-stricken years, it's probably not any easier for that. So she was preparing herself. So she prepared in the way that she should have. She accepted the information, and then she was ready to, to give birth. She, she knew what John was going to be doing, and she was glad in it, as many of the people uh, say that she was. In the next section in Luke, it says in verses 26 through 33, In the sixth month... The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. 
a pretty good message for a young, unmarried woman. It says she was betrothed. This is that central, or that middle ground uh, that uh, the, the women of the day, the, the couples of the day had go through. They would have a commitment, maybe a prearranged marriage with someone for many, many years before. And as, as early as she may have been, 15 or 16 years of, of age, but she was, she was set to be given in marriage to Joseph for many years before. She's in this middle area, this betrothed, where she's leading up to the marriage. And you basically start performing all the marriage things. You start getting prepared for the, for the day. You're getting prepared to have a family. You're starting your, your home life and everything. All those things, but not the consummation of the marriage. So the betrothal is that middle period when the angel came to give her the information that she was going to conceive, that she was going to have a son. The fact that she was favored says a, a unique privilege among any person to ever live. I mean, without a doubt, Mary was very privileged to give birth to the Son of God, to give birth to the Messiah. You know, when we see that, J Jesus, it says he will call his name Jesus, Josh Joshua, Joshua is salvation. It was clear that this was the one that all of the women and all of the history beforehand were waiting for, hoping that they would be the one who would give birth to the Messiah. And now Mary is realizing that the time has come and she is that one. It gives a couple different descriptors. It says he will be great. Most, Jesus is the most influential person ever in history. You know, I, I have talked to a lot of different people and some say, well, what about so-and-so? I say, more than Jesus, more than everybody who's ever lived knows the name of Jesus, but they may not know the name you've just mentioned. He is the most influential person in all of history. So when he will be great, that's an understatement from the angel. The son of the highest. He wasn't Mary's only son but he was the only son of God. This was a position very unique for, for Jesus, very unique for Mary, that she would give birth as a virgin. This, as Tripp was reading earlier, talking about from Isaiah, more prophecy tying the Old Testament to the New Testament, talking about how that she would give birth as a virgin, that she would give birth to the son of God, that she would give birth to the Messiah that God, is sa that God saves. It talks about the throne of David, this was a fulfillment of 2 Samuel chapter, in chapter 7 when it talks about the rightful authority would be put back in Israel. The rightful authority would come to Israel, and that would be Jesus Christ. He was king, not only of Israel, but of all. But here again, more prophecy tying him to the New Testament and the way in which Luke decided he wanted to have this thing taken care of. He wanted to make sure that people understood just who this, he was. When we see in, that, in Mary's response, verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? How is this any different than what Zechariah had said? Zechariah said, uh, tell me how this is to be true. Basically in the translation, it's, uh, I want proof. Uh, she's a 15-year-old girl, probably not as well-schooled as he was, in the scripture, he was a Levite, an elderly priest who spent his life studying the scriptures. He should have accepted this on faith when the angel said it without any kind of a question. And she did. She accepted without any kind of question. She just wanted to know, I'm a virgin, you know, just, you know, I just need to understand. She didn't question the fact that it was going to happen. He should have had better understanding as she did. God knows the hearts of the people that he is speaking with. 
That's the reason he came to her. He knew her commitment to God would be unfaltering and unwavering. He knew that she would accept this without any hesitation. The only understanding that was given was that this work was the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's all she needed. That's all that was, was required. Her submission to God uh, was the reason that she was favored for God. Uh, given the added bonus, when the angel said that Elizabeth has been, is pregnant and she will be giving birth, can imagine that added to her own joy, that now she would have her, her relative also going through this whole process, and we'll see further on in, in the later scriptures, that she goes to see Elizabeth and the interaction that they have. And as a young girl, this would have been something that would have been truly joyful to her, to be able to have something to share with them. So Luke's narrative about the two angelic visits uh, it tied the old to the new. And we have to make sure that we understand that. Some people I've, I've talked to, they, they say, well, I, I, I'm a New Testament Christian. I, re I really like to read the New Testament. Well, you can't just read the New Testament. You've got to know the Old Testament. You know, we are reminded that God is still at work in the scope of man from the very beginning to yet in our future. He hasn't just, you know, eliminated everything in the Old Testament and come up with the New Testament. He is reminding us that we, we have to understand the Old Testament in light of the New. And we have to be able to give in, get information from the New with our understanding of the Old Testament. If we don't have the both of them, we are missing half the puzzle. We are missing half of the narrative. We're missing half of the Word of God to us to make sure that we know what we are supposed to be doing. Having that instruction to live our lives. We can't, we can't, if you, if you ever put together something uh, that has more than three moving parts and you get the instructions out and you go, would you, would you tear the first half of the instruction manual and toss it away? Say, I'll just get it to put together now with the remainder. Most guys think they can do it, but I mean, it's beside the point. You can't. You really shouldn't. To get it done properly, you need to have all the information. And so Luke's desire to make sure that we have comprehensive. He wanted to remind his readers to, to where the, all of this is coming from. It's all coming back out of the Old Testament. It's all leading up to where it was here. And so that his design on what he was talking about was helping the people understand that this is just fulfillment. This is information that they needed to have. Um, we are reminded that um, he's an infinite God and we have a finite mind. We have a hard time comprehending. And in in Thursday night in prayer, one of the things that we do is we uh, read through the, an attribute of God and then we kind of focus our prayer around one of the attributes of God. And last Thursday night, it was an incomprehensible God. Can you just try to, try to, in your own mind, try to figure out everything about God? All right, that's enough time. Because you can't. You can't if, if you could, you'd either be God or he wouldn't be. He's an incomprehensible God. He is someone well beyond, way beyond our ability to understand all the aspects. God has given to us all that we need in the whole scriptures, not just the new, not just the old. He has given to us that, that verbal communication that when we are talking to God, when we are listening to God, why would we want to throw away half of what he has to say? Some, of the, some people say, well, if God would just give me some more information, if you just speak to me, why? You haven't done more than, you haven't done enough of what he has given you already. So it's a reminder that we've got to make sure that we understand all the aspects of the, of the word when we come to. And having a deeper appreciation of both the New and the Old Testament. 
none of the scriptures has happened in a vacuum. None of it has happened apart from everything else so that we, we can't tie it all together. We may not have a great understanding of it yet, but God is tying it all together. We have to be reminded of that. So that is what my encouragement to people is that they don't avoid studying all the books of the, of the Bible. You know, we've had a Bible study in our home, and when we started, when we, we mentioned years back, we said, oh, we're going to be studying Leviticus. And it was a, oh, Leviticus. Why do I want to study Leviticus? When we finished, everybody was saying, I never knew there was so much in there. I never knew that, that Jesus used the things in Leviticus to make the points in his ministry. And all the things in the Old Testament, we've got to make sure that we don't abandon parts of God's word. Otherwise, we're missing out. We're losing out. So to know the whole story of redemption, we have to understand all the prophecy behind it. We can't just pick it up from the new. And the only way to remember this is so that when, when we start reading, if we don't understand something, look for where it's described and called for in the Old Testament. When we see something in the Old Testament that we don't, may not get, look for the fulfillment in the New Testament. Tie the two together. God has done that for us in the combination of the Holy Bible. So why should we want to eliminate one from the other? So we want to make sure that all that we do, just like what Mary said, is that she just said, then let it be. The final scripture, I think, on there, that I have the final one. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived. Did I read this one already? And then it said, okay, behold, I I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So let it be to me according to your word. That's the point I wanted to get at is she accepted what the angel had said. Let it be, and let's just move on, because now I'm ready. And we're, we now have in other aspects of the portions of Scripture where the same angel comes to Joseph, her betrothed, and, and, and speaks to him in a dream and talks to him about what's going to happen, because Joseph was having doubts when he found out that Mary was pregnant. And that part will be covered when somebody else covers this also again. But his thing was, he didn't want to just put her away and divorce her, because in that day... If she became pregnant while they were betrothed and it wasn't his child, she could be stoned. He could have her killed. Or he could just write her off with a writ of divorce. But the angel went to him to explain, this is God's work. And when we, have, when we see anything going on in our lives, if we don't have an understanding, just seek God a little bit more. He will give you the understanding you need for that time. All that you need. Not any more and not any less. We may feel like it's less because we maybe not have studied enough. We may not give it enough time for its fulfillment, but he doesn't give us any more because we wouldn't be able to accept it. We wouldn't be able to digest it. We wouldn't be able to do anything with it. So we, it's just a reminder to me, and as I remind you, is that when God gives us promises, he is faithful to fulfill them. How he does that is his own way, in his own will, not ours. We, can't, we can and should not question him because we don't have the right, the authority, or the ability to do so. So as the worship team begins to come back up here, I also wanted to remind you to to be thinking about the second half of that scripture that I talked about in Genesis chapter 49, where he's talking, Jacob is talking to Judah about the scepter would not depart until the Messiah would come. The second part of that, a couple verses down, it says, when he comes, it will dip his garments in wine, 
and his, they will dip his, his linens in, in blood. That's the reminder that Jesus was coming, but in that first coming, he was coming to be a sacrifice. And when Jesus had the Last Supper with the, with the disciples and the apostles, he asked them, when they take the elements of communion, he said, do this, when you gather together, do this in remembrance of me. So as we think about what the elements are there for, his body and his blood, prophesied from way back, prophesied throughout the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament, that it's not something we do lightly. We want to come to him. We want to accept the elements. We want to remember his sacrifice to us and all that he has done. So as the musicians begin, we can come forward and take the, take the elements.